This is Sunday night worship service here at the Pineville Pentecost Winners Church with our senior pastor, Reverend Farrell Hardis, to bring the message tonight. Down is the way up. We'll start off with the praise team.
welcome that, don't you? The Holy Spirit would rain down on us tonight. Thank you, Brother Larry. You are a good man. Thank you, sir. Thank God for the good service this morning and uh, a word to all of us to be not discouraged, but be encouraged in the Lord. Tonight we're going to talk about um, the way up is to get down. Down is the way up. Did you know that in the Bible, in God's way of doing things, it's always opposite of what the world says we need to do to get the same thing. Now, if we wanted a promotion, if we wanted to move up, if we wanted to uh, get recognition, then uh, in the, by the world standards, we would uh, step on whoever we've got to step on, criticize whoever we've got to criticize, exalt ourselves, brag about ourselves. Try to convince people that we ought to have more, be at a higher level than we are. That's what the world would say. There are many, many books in the bookstore on success, how to be successful. Well, the Bible tells us that if we want to be promoted, it is by humility. It is the opposite way of what the world tells us. I want you to look with me in the book of Philippians, and I encourage you, even though it's going to be on the screen, always uh, have your Bible with you if you can, and that way you know how to use your Bible. You want to always uh, be able to flip over to those verses, uh, knowing where they are and, and uh, how to find them quickly. Philippians is in the, in the back of your Bible. It's um, a few books before Revelation. And I don't have my Bible with me. I wrote out my scriptures on a piece of paper tonight. But uh, Philippians chapter 2. I love, I love the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians was written by Paul. What makes the book of Philippians so uh, important, so interesting, is to know the background of that book. And the background of that book is that Paul was in prison when he wrote it. He was in prison. Now, the Philippian church was a very, very good church. As a matter of fact, Paul brags on them to the Corinthians when he writes letters to the Corinthian church. He brags on the people at, at Philippi and talks about how generous they are and, and what a good uh, group of people they are. Uh, but he's in prison when he writes this letter to the Philippians. Now, listen to this. Let's go along with this morning's sermon. He wrote a letter. He's in prison. He heard they were discouraged. They're not in prison, but he heard they were discouraged. So he wrote a letter to them from prison to encourage them. How about that? Uh, I don't know how you would be. I might be tempted to go, you're discouraged. What do you mean you're discouraged? I'm in prison. <laughs> but Paul didn't take that attitude. Uh, Paul was their apostle. Now, Paul was their pastor, but... But he, Paul's an apostle, the apostle Paul. Now we live in a day when a lot of preachers give their name, give themselves the title of apostle. Apostle so-and-so, and I like to go by these uh, uh, big old um, signs on the side of the road. What are they called? Billboards, thank you. I just had a, had a block there for a minute. Big old billboard and Half the billboards are preacher, the, a picture of the preacher and his wife, and they look like Hollywood, and he's apostle somebody, you know. <laughs> well, let me tell you what an apostle is. An apostle is someone with the gift of apostle, and the gift of apostle is to go into a place where there is no church or where there is not enough churches and start a church, get people saved, train the leaders, develop a pastor, get that church going, and then you leave and you go on to another place that needs a church and you start a church there. I got a feeling if some of these fellows who call themselves apostles, if they knew what the real job of an apostle was, 
they'd probably say, that is the last thing I want to do because I can't imagine anything much harder than that. Going into a town maybe that's cold and, and uh, indifferent toward the Lord and trying to get a work of the Lord going. I, I'm really, really, um, I don't know what the word is. I, I know they're not looking for me to be impressed, but I'm so impressed by missionaries who go into places where the gospel is just rejected. We have missionaries in our denomination that are in Muslim countries. And uh, they tell me that the, really one of the most difficult places to start a church and to get any kind of work for the Lord going uh, that is meaningful and, and really biblical, spiritual, is in Europe in the European nations. It's very, very cold, very resistant. Uh, that's interesting when you do a study of church history. That's where the revival broke out that came over here to America. And now, and now um, we send missionaries there. And I don't know whether you all know it or not, but did you know that America has gotten to be such a challenge that other nations are sending missionaries over here to us now? Can you imagine with all the churches we've got and all the preachers we've got and all the different modes of communication that we have and yet people leave nations that are much poorer than ours to come here and preach the gospel in America. I, um, it breaks my heart, but I'm glad they're doing it. We need all the help we can get, amen? And... Uh, uh, just kind of got off on that a little bit there, talking about Paul being an apostle. Paul's in prison now, and we're in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. I've got a whole series of sermons on the whole book of Philippians. I might preach sometime, you know, the next 10 or 12 years while I'm here. And, uh, amen. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. I think you're the only one that said amen. <laughs> But I want you to look what Paul says here. Just such a beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind, and what did we talk about this morning? The battle for the mind. And, and I'll, probably, I'll probably, I've got a series on that, on the, on the mind and the battle for the mind. And, and uh but we were talking about that this morning. That's what discouragement is. It is a, a battle in the mind. It's a battle in our thoughts, our thought processes. It's a playground of the devil. If he can get in your thoughts, get in your mind, uh, he can defeat you even though you're saved. And even though you will go to heaven when you die, he can, if he can get in your head, if he can get in your thoughts, he can make you ineffective as a Christian down here. Now, if Satan can't get you to backslide, what he will do is try to, try to get in your head and make you uh, feel a lack of confidence or feel a lack of assurance that you're really saved or he will discourage you as we preached on this morning. So if he can't get you to just turn your back on God, then he will try to get into your mind and into your thoughts so he can make you ineffective in your time on this earth as a Christian. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. Tries it on me. Tries it on you. I know he does. Tempts it all the time. It's up to us where we, whether we let him do it or not. We have to get a hold of ourselves. We have to let the Holy Spirit get a hold of us. We have to get into the Word. We have to get down and pray when we don't feel like praying. So God can touch us and God can speak to us and God can minister to us. But he says, let this mind, what mind? Let this mind he's about to talk about. If you'll notice at the end of verse 5 is a colon. So that means he is saying, what I'm about to talk about is the mind that is of God. It is the mind of Christ and you need to let it be in you. What I'm about to talk about. A lot of times uh, when we're studying the Bible and when we're... Uh, uh, maybe preparing a lesson or just studying the Bible for your own personal study, uh, you, you need to, um, if a sentence starts out like this, having said that, now Paul never said having said that, but he will say, he will make some phrases to let you know 
that based on what he just said, now he's going to say this. So guess what you need to find out? You need to find out what he did say before he said the part you're about to study. Am I making sense up here? So he says, let this mind be in you which is in Christ. And then he tells us what that mind is. He says in verse 6, who, and that um, uh, pronoun there is the Lord, Jesus. Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now this morning we went over the Trinity, didn't we? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, the way though, the way these three parts of God express is different and unique. It's like a, I always, uh, when I'm teaching on the Trinity, I always use the apple as a picture, and I may have already used that with y'all. And if I have, forgive me, I'm about to use it again. But a, an apple's got three parts. It's got a skin, a peeling. It's got meat, the flesh of the apple, and then it's got a core. Now, the core is not the skin, and the skin is not the flesh, and the core is not the flesh, but they're all apple. Yes, they're all three apple, but they're different parts of the apple. We're Trinity. Remember what I said this morning? Body, body. Of all the three parts of me, it is this part I am so excited about getting rid of at the end of time. Amen? Body, and mine laid before the Lord this afternoon, and I woke myself up snoring, so that's a good thing. <laughs> but um, body, mind, and what does he say here in verse 5? Let this what? Mind be in you, this mind of Christ. Be in you, it was in Christ, let it be in you. And then our spirit, our heart, where God comes in. When you get saved, that's where the Lord enters. He enters through your spirit. Your spirit communes with Him. And, and then as you grow in your walk with the Lord, then your mind begins to think like the Lord. The longer you're a Christian, if you're, listen to, this, listen to this language right here. If you're an intentional Christian. Now, if you're going to grow up and be a strong Christian, you got to go get it. It's not going to come get you. Amen? you you got to go get it. And you might say, well, I don't know what that means. It means you initiate Bible study. You you initiate prayer. You don't wait for God to come along and, and coach you. And he will, and he'll convict you, and he will woo you and call you, and I thank him for that. But we are to take the initiative for our spiritual health. We are to take the initiative. If I'm going to be a man of prayer, then I need to be a man of prayer whether I feel like praying or I don't feel like praying. If I'm going to be close to God, I know prayer is essential if I'm going to be near to God, and the Word of God is essential. So um, when I'm driving here, I'm listening to preaching. I've got four or five different preachers I really, really enjoy listening to, and I listen to them on the way to church a lot of times, or I'll have some kind of gospel music going or, or something, because I need to be fed just like you all do. But if you're not intentional... If you're not intentional about your relationship with God, you will drift away from the Lord. See, we live in a world that has a current. And the current is not going toward God. The current of this world is flowing away from God. And if you don't have your anchor down, and if, you don't, if you're not strong, if you're not spiritually muscular so that you can swim against the current, you'll get pulled into the ways of this world. The current in this world is not going toward righteousness. The current in this world is not going toward God and good. and uh, It's not going toward the Bible. It's going away from those things. Listen to me. Jesus said, the world hates me. He said, and if you try to love me or you do love me, it's going to hate you too. That's what Jesus said. That's not hard to understand, is it? 
And so, if we're going to be successful in our walk with God, I mean, come on, y'all, not just get by. I don't want y'all to get to heaven like I passed algebra. I made it by the skin of my teeth, brother. I'm, I'm just not with, good with numbers. Thank God for dorks. I mean, I'm sorry. Thank God for people who are good with numbers. Did I, was my hand just like right there pointing at you? I do thank God for people like Mac. I'm picking on him. But I thank God for people like that. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. Um, and I don't even know what I was talking about. But, but uh God wants you to understand what his mind is, and he wants you to have that. He, wants, he says you can't. Listen, he would never command you to do something you can't do. God would never say, look, let this mind be in you if his mind couldn't be in you. God would never challenge you with that. So he's saying to us here, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So, if you get in some kind of discussion about the Bible, one of the, one of the things that people who are trying to get you to doubt the Lord will bring up is that Jesus wasn't God. But right here it says it doesn't in verse 6. He's equal with God. What did Jesus say if you've seen me? You've seen the Father. There is one place in the Bible where the Trinity is right there. It's at the baptism of Jesus. The Son is in the water. The Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And a dove comes down in the form, or the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. It's one of the clearest pictures in the Bible of the Trinity. But people will try to get you to doubt God, to doubt that Jesus is God. Uh, as a matter of fact, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and, and if it offends somebody because you've got family in this or whatever, um, then I'll have a talk with you. We'll talk. But that's why the Mormons are a cult. The Mormons are good people. The Mormons are very, very good, moral people. But they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God in the sense that he is God. Uh, Millie did a Mormon lady's hair, and she was one of the top people at the Mormon church there in Goldsboro. And y'all got to know Millie. I guess you will get to know her more and more. But she said, do y'all sing victory in Jesus? And she said, no, we don't sing that song. Millie said, why not? She said, that's one of my favorite songs, Victory in Jesus. She said, we don't sing that song. She said, we don't glorify the cross. I do. I glorify the cross. That's where my sins were bought. That's where my sins were paid for. That's where my sins were dealt with. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the cross of Calvary. Amen. Thank you for the place of the skull, Golgotha. Thank you for it. But... I bring that up in verse 6 because it says Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, that the thing that determines whether a movement or religious organization or denomination is a cult is what they think about Jesus. That's really the bottom line. Who is Jesus? Listen to this. Listen to this statement. Whether you make it to heaven or not, will be based on what you think of Jesus. It'll be based on who you think Jesus is. If you believe Jesus is God, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead to give you life, and you believe that, and you don't only believe it, but you embrace it, you receive that work of God as your salvation, then you're going to go to heaven when you die. But if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, then, then really his death meant nothing. His death meant nothing. God had to die for our sins. The God-man. In the beginning was the Word. W, capital W. Talking about Jesus, not the written Word in John chapter 1, verse 1. It's not talking about the written Word. It's talking about the living Word. It's 
talking about Jesus. He came and dwelt among us, took on flesh and dwelt among us because he had to come and die. There had been many incredible, amazing Christian martyrs before him, but none of them could die for our sin. He had to die. Jesus had to die. That's not an um, incidental, that's a fundamental. That's fundamental. When people say he wasn't born of a virgin, I, I'm gonna, the hair's going to rise up on the back of my neck because if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, then he was just a regular man. If he was just a regular man, his death on the cross meant nothing. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. People don't understand that. They don't under, a lot of people just don't grasp that. Uh, I hear people sometimes in their ignorance, well, I don't know if he was or not, but that don't matter. Yes, it does. It matters. <laughs> your, your eternity is in that. How many of y'all were planning on spending your eternity in heaven? Then you better believe Jesus was, is, and will forever be God. There is no way. I am the way. There's no other way. I am the light. I am the life. There's nobody who, Acts 4.12, I believe it is, there's no other name given among men under heaven that you can call on except the name of Jesus and be born again and go to heaven when you die. Now, I know we know that, and y'all been taught that, but I think we need to be reminded of it. I think I need to say it when I'm preaching so I'll get reminded of it, and I think I need to say it pretty regularly so we'll be refreshed in it because, listen, that's where the devil's going to try to knock you out from, knock your feet out from under you. It's where you have your feet planted, and I've got my feet planted on the person of Jesus Christ who was born in Bethlehem but had always been and always will be. Jesus is the great I am. He is God. Always has been, is, and always will be. Thank God, thank God. So, you know, you were teaching Wednesday night, the other Wednesday night, about the... Um, people around the crossing if you are the son of God. See, the questioning of the deity of God is where the breakdown begins. If they can start getting us to question the deity of God, and I want to tell y'all some heartbreaking news tonight. There are churches that used to preach the Bible as strong as we do who don't do it anymore because they want bigger crowds. They want bigger crowds. You say, and, and I know what they would say if they were here. Here's how they defend themselves. Well, we want, we want them to come so we can tell them, you know, about the Lord. Well, if you're going to get them to come by telling them that what they believe about Jesus don't matter, then get them to come to your church and go help them. Amen? Let me tell you something. Lost people out there, and I know there aren't probably any here tonight. But lost people out there, if they are looking for something, and if they do decide, I want to find something that's going to change my life forever, then they need to come to a church like this one. And I'm not saying we're the only one in town that's preaching this. But I know where this church stands. And we may offend you with some of the things we said, but I'll take you to the scripture where Jesus said, I'm a sword. I've come to divide. I haven't just come to unite. Jesus said, I've come to divide. And... and he was talking about those who will believe the truth and those who won't believe the truth or, or want a watered-down watered down version of the truth. I didn't have this in my notes, but I felt like saying it. Y'all all right? Amen. Amen. So look at verse 7 now. I want to show you all how Jesus got famous. But he made of himself no reputation. When you read, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do you get the sense that Jesus really don't care what people think of him? Absolutely. Jesus says, I love you. I love you. I love you. I am not going to tell you what you want to hear. I am not going to say things to you that don't bring conviction. I'm not going to teach you things that you don't want to hear. I'm going to tell you the truth. And the people who followed him were small. 
Now, a bunch of people followed him as long as he was doing miracles, but when he stopped doing miracles and started teaching and started saying what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, then the crowds dwindled down, and then at the end, they wanted him to die. They wanted him dead because he said he was God. But made of himself no reputation and took upon himself of all the things Jesus could have been when he came to this world. He could have been anybody he wanted to be. He could have been anything he wanted to be. When you think about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, he made the people. Y'all do understand he was there at the creation. You understand Jesus was there at the creation. Book of Hebrews tells us he was there at creation. So the very people who he is washing their dirty, nasty feet. Now, we think we got nasty feet. They wore sandals all the time. And matter of fact, they kept a basin of water at the door of every house so you could wash your feet before you went in the house. And it was the lowest form of service to get down on your hands and knees and wash somebody's feet. And Jesus, to show his disciples who he was, a servant, got down on his hands and knees and washed their feet. Because he came, look what he says, in the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus took on a human body. Human body. You know, I get tickled sometimes when I see these pictures of Jesus. And it looks like uh, the guy on the front of them romance novels. His hair's flowing, and he's big, and, must, and, he's, and he's so good looking. The Bible says he was comely. That means you might see him and then just totally forget what you saw. I mean, you just, there's nothing about him, the Bible says, that was attractive. He was just a. Uh, a regular man, I would encourage you, if you want to um, do an interesting study, we've got the internet now, it's right at our fingertips. You ought to see some of the drawings of the early church as they studied Jesus and what he probably looked like. Jesus was not somebody who would walk in a room and everybody would know because of his appearance that he was Jesus. Now, they might know he's somebody special because the whole room changes when he walks into it. But it was not his appearance. He made of himself no reputation. Took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the image of us. And verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Is that not amazing? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He humbled himself to the point that he said, if it'll save Farrell and Laurie and Kay and Larry, if it'll save them from sin and give them a home in heaven, you can kill me for them. You can kill me for Pharaoh. You can kill me for Larry. Look what it says. Humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And then the Bible says, and I think this is, goes right along with your teaching, even the death of the cross. And the reason the writer Paul said even the death of the cross, it was because of the horribleness of that death. The horror of that death. He said not only did the Lord offer himself to die, but he offered himself to die in the most humiliating and agonizing way a man can possibly die. Now crucifixion was a regular thing. Matter of fact, somebody said uh, that you could stand in the middle of Rome and just turn like that and crosses would be on every horizon of people they'd killed who even gave the slightest implication that they were against the government or against uh, anything that Rome wanted them to do. But Jesus bore our sin. That was the agony. 
That was the agony. That was the primary suffering is that Jesus bore on him. Jesus who had done no wrong. Jesus who had committed no sin. Not only bore mine, but everybody in this room, everybody past, present, and future. He took on the sin of all mankind. And the Father in his righteousness, in his holiness, turned because his son bore all that sin. One writer said he couldn't look on it. And that is when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Brother Mac taught us other things that were fresh to me. Thank you for that the other night about that, that statement that Jesus made on the cross. Now, because, look at verse 9, I'm sorry, verse 8. Well, we can back, go all around. Verse 7, no reputation, came as a servant humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Since he did that, since Jesus did that, look at verse 9, here's the result. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. See, when you come down, in God's way of doing things, you come down to go up. You don't go up to go up. You come down to go up. Ross was here this morning, still crying because of his experience with the Lord last Sunday. And I, I just notice his countenance, his humble countenance. I hope some of y'all got to speak to him this morning. He's that tall, white-headed fellow. And I just see a humility. He had, he walked, he, he not, not today, but last Sunday, he walked down the aisle of a church that he doesn't know anybody. Ross did. And Ree, his wife, is with him, and she's a powerful Christian. And he walked right up here with her, and he stood here. And I'm sure he had an idea that y'all were good people, but he doesn't know you very well. But he said, no matter what people think, I want to touch God today, and I want God to touch me. He humbled himself. Every one of us in here today who are saved, you got saved because you went down. You didn't get saved because you went up. You went down on your knees. You went down accepting who you were, accepting that you were lost, accepting that you could not save yourself, accepting that your righteousness is as filthy rags. You went down, and because you went down, heave Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2, reached down into the muck and mire of your sin and pulled you up and out and set your feet on a rock and established your going. That's what the Bible says. You want to get somewhere with God? Get down. You want to get nearer to God? Get down. Get down and you'll be lifted up. Look what it says. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and give him, given him a name which is above every name. <laughs> On that cross you've been teaching the king of the Jews. God had already given him a name, Messiah. Do you know that the word Joshua in the Old Testament and the word Jesus in the New Testament is the same word, means the same thing? He came for us. He fought for us. Now he has a name above every name. Look at verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, one day, one day everybody's going to bow. You know, here's the thing about that, and I know this is simple, and I've probably already said it since I've been here. But everybody's going to bow. The question is not whether you're going to bow. You're going to bow. It says it right there. It's whether you're going to bow when it can make a difference or whether you're going to bow too late when it doesn't make any difference. We're still... The, <laughs> the, the door to the ark still open. <coughs> the door to the ark is still open. Are y'all glad? for your family and for your neighbors who aren't saved, that the door to the ark is still open. But God's going to shut it here for too long. He's going to shut it. And people 
when, when he shuts the door and when tribulation kicks in and, and we've all been raptured out of the earth and then uh, the first three and a half years of tribulation is, is going to go along pretty much like it is today. There will be, there'll be a lot of things that will be unusual. But then the last half of the seven years is called the great tribulation. <coughs> and that's when the Antichrist will reveal himself. And turn on the Jews and there will be wars and, and you know all about that. And I'm not going to get into that. But, but there will be people in the tribulation period who cannot be saved. And they will, they will cry out and it will be too late. You need to remember about the tribulation period. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying there aren't some Gentiles that will be saved during the tribulation. I'm not saying that. But the, the tribulation period is for the Jewish people. They're God's chosen people. And it's God giving them one more opportunity to accept him. But every knee is going to bow. Sodom Hussein, remember him? He'll bow. He'll bow. God's going to reveal to every Muslim who he is. God's going to reveal to every Mormon who Jesus is. Every Jehovah's Witness. God's going to reveal to Al-Qaeda. God's going to reveal to um, Vladimir Putin in Russia. God's going to reveal to him who, who he is. God's going to reveal himself to the most notorious, evil, bloodthirsty psychopaths that have run this world and nations of this world. They will know who Jesus is. They will have enlightenment from heaven as to who Jesus is. And they will cry out for salvation but it'll be too late. I'm so glad I've cried out to him now. <laughs> I still cry out to him. Do you all? I still do. I still cry out to him. Every knee will bow of things in heaven, the angels, all the people who've died and gone on, the great heroes of the Old Testament, things in the earth that we just talked about, things under the earth. All the people that are suffering in, in hell, are, they're, they're going to know, they're going to understand. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a judgment coming for them where they will actually, uh, the, the hell will give up her dead and they will be judged again. And, and then the, their suffering after that judgment is going to have varying degrees based on opportunity and and things of, the, of, of that nature, and I'll teach on that at another time. And verse 11 says, every tongue. So you're going to do it. You're going to confess he's Lord. Everybody's going to confess. But it's the timing. It's the timing of it. Every tongue will say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is what that Pentecostal church in Pine Level kept saying he was. The world who's mocked and ridiculed and, and, and um, de degraded us and derided us and, and laughed at us. We will all say they were telling the truth. They were telling the truth. I'm glad I know the truth and I've accepted the truth and I'm not bragging on that. I just can't imagine that I'm worthy and I've done some really, really, really stupid things in my life, but getting saved wasn't one of them. Amen. Getting saved and marrying Millie, two of the smartest things I've ever done. When I, look my, when I put my bad decisions on the other side, I've got way yonder more, but I thank God for those two decisions. Amen. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? He's Lord. You know what? Um, that old song, He is Lord. Can we do that? Can we sing that? So if my band up there will get the words up. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Every tongue's going to confess that what? Jesus is Lord, and I love the last little part of that verse. 
to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. To the glory of God the Father. You know what? Let's all stand, would you? And let's walk right on up here. Let's stand up here and sing that thing about two or three times. For he is for Miss K. Barbie tonight, God, that you'll touch her body. And I knew when that pain medicine wore off, she was going to feel excruciating pain. It's just a very, very painful procedure, and uh, what's left over from it is very painful for a while. So touch Miss K. Touch Brother Bill Thornton. Dry up that cancer in him as you did with Brother Norman. We thank you, God, that you have touched Brother Norman. He's had his surgery, and as far as we know, he is cancer-free, and we ask you to just heal him now from the surgery. And we just pray, God, that Brother Bill would enjoy that same kind of success in his battle that he's in right now. But he's not alone. He's got us. He's got his church with him, and he's got you with him, Lord. And we just ask you to touch Brother Bill. And Lord, I, I uh, deal with people who are struggling in their marriage. I deal with people who are disillusioned because uh, things have not worked out in their life the way they thought, and, and they're just kind of confused right now, and I'm trying to do the best job I can in counseling and, and helping people. So, Lord, help me. Help me. Help me, Lord. And 
to be a good counselor and to say those things that only you would have me say. And Lord, I know there are other people in this church that others look up to for help and counseling and input in their life. And I pray you will give all of us who are here tonight as we have the opportunity to minister, give us wisdom and insight and words, God, that we would say just what people need to hear. Lord, uh, we just ask you to touch our young people, touch our children, Lord. Uh, we know Satan is trying to get them at a younger and younger and younger age. And, and we just ask you, God, to cover them with a hedge of protection. And God, that you'll give mamas and daddies courage in their walk with the Lord. If we're not going to be strong in the Lord for ourselves, let us be strong in the Lord for our children. For our children, for our, our community and our little town here and our neighborhood and, and for our country, God, and for this world. Help us to be all we can be for you. Father, we put it all in your hands. We give it to you. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If anybody would like to have special prayer, I'll hang around up here like I always do. I'll be glad to pray for you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank y'all for You've been watching the Pine Level Pentecostal Ordinance Church. The Pine Level Pentecostal Ordinance Church is located on 112 East Blanche Street. And we welcome you to come and join us in worship every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m., every Sunday night at 6 p.m., and every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Don't forget, if you can't join us in person, you can always join us via the internet through the website at pinelevelphc.org. You can watch our services, check out upcoming events, and lots more there at the website. You can also check out our app through Google Play or iOS App Store. Download the Pine Level Pentecostal Witness Church app. It's free to use, free to download. You can watch our services live or on demand. Check out other things about the church, even donate to the church through the link. If you have a Facebook account, go to facebook.com forward slash Pine Level PHC. Get notifications when we go live. Check out pictures and other upcoming events about our church. Just like our Facebook page. That's all you have to do. Also, YouTube is available for the YouTube subscribers. Search YouTube for Pine Level PH Church. Subscribe to our channel. Get notifications when we go live. You watch our services live or on demand. Don't forget, if you can't watch us, maybe you want to listen. Search for our podcast through your favorite podcast provider and listen to the services anywhere in the world. Don't forget about our new radio station. Go to our website or app for the quick link. And you can also just simply type in pinelevelphc.org forward slash radio. Radio stations playing good gospel music 24-7. Also, lots other programming is available for your enjoyment. So if you want to check that out, do so anytime. And listen with friends around the world. For everyone here at the Pine Level Pentecost Witness Church, I'm Joey Perry. We hope to see you soon here at the Pine Level Pentecostal Witness Church.